Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. So, so great just being in the house of the Lord and in His presence. Excited for, for what he's doing in our midst and a little bit tired tonight. We've had a, a long weekend, but it's been a good weekend. Those of you that are visiting or maybe missed last week or so, we started last Sunday evening and started speaking about the money. You know, the big M word that we're not allowed speaking in church because it's so holy that not even God can go there. And we started speaking about that and just bringing into light some of the really powerful elements and truth that Scripture holds before us when it comes to our relationship with money. Last Sunday I started speaking and covered some, some basics of the topics and then yesterday morning we took some time out, had a couple of sessions just dedicated to our understanding of money and the way that, that God would have us relate to our money and what Scripture teaches about money and the truth is we could almost spend forever just talking about money because there's so much scripture. There's probably more scripture relating to us and our relationship with money than there is scripture relating to anything else. And we're just unpacking a little bit. There's no ways we can cover all of it, but I do believe that in these couple of sessions we're able to just highlight a couple of the, the most prominent things that God would have us focus on in this time. And as we do that, laying a foundation for the Holy Spirit to continue for the Holy Spirit to speak to us through His Word. I was saying yesterday, one of the things I love about God is that in the areas where our heads get the fuzziest, the Word of God is the clearest. That when it comes to our relationship with money and finances, God says things so clearly, so eloquently, that there's no room for ambiguity. There's no room for misinterpretation, for no room for thinking, does He now mean this or this, or is it this way or is it that way? But Scripture is just so profoundly, powerfully clear that we can't get around it. We can choose to disobey it, but that's completely different. There's no confusion as to the vast majority of what Scripture has to say about you and I and how we relate to our finances. So today I'm wanting to carry on about that. And last week I finished the Scripture, Luke 16, verse 10 and 11. We finished with that. We'll have that up there now. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in what is least in un is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And for those who missed last week or so, we just spoke about the fact, laid a couple of fundamentals just in our approach to money, but then we closed off on this point which said that God is watching how we relate to our money. So much so that Scripture teaches and holds before us here in Luke that God is looking for us to be faithful so that He can commit to us the true riches. But He's looking in a specific place. He's not so much. He's probably looking in a whole bunch of other places too. In our quiet times, our relationship with one another, our integrity, the purity of our hearts, all of those things He's probably looking at too. But the one thing Scripture is abundantly clear about here is he is very much looking at our wallets. 
He's looking for faithfulness. He's looking for purity. He's looking for integrity in the way we deal with money. Normal, unrighteous mammon, it calls it there. And then he says, when we show ourselves faithful in unrighteous mammon, we position ourselves for him to entrust to us what he calls the true riches, those things that are really valuable. The money has got no value. It's just got a semblance of value in our time on earth, and it only has value because we place value on it. But there are things in eternity which have a heck of a lot more value that he would have us pay our attention to. And the money is just a means to an end. The money isn't the end. The money isn't the goal. But the money is so important because it reveals to us what is in our hearts. And last week we said as well, money has the important power to direct our hearts. Where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And we can place our treasure and our hearts will follow. The powerful tool that God has placed in our hands is our money. Now some of you are sitting and say, yeah, Philip, you know, it's great talking about money, but I don't have any. So I brought a statistic here because I used to work with the stuff, so I've got a little bit of history in this. And I went to one of my favorite websites that I haven't visited in six or seven years. And sadly, it still looks exactly the same, but it's still as fun. And anyone here studying economics or anything in that line? Like two of you, shame. Okay. The rest of you will get enlightened one day. But if you are into kind of finance or just you want to go look at a fun website, just go Google Xavier Sully Martin's website. He's got like the craziest stuff on there. The top of the website starts, I think he's updated now, with champions of Europe, Barcelona, because he's Spanish heritage. And then he's got the list of the world's top 100 economists. And I think he's number four, number five or something, so kind of everyone has to know he's like pretty good. That's right at the top of the website. And he's got a whole bunch of other links. Like if you're a Keynesian, click here. And for those who aren't kind of economic background people, Keynesians are people who approach economics with a, a worldview or a view that the government can fix everything. You know, Julius Malema is probably in that sense a little bit of a Keynesian in that if the government just get in, gets involved and the government spends more money, the government's going to fix the problem. And then he's got a whole bunch of photos of why this po cannot possibly be true, like a stop sign spelled S-O-T-P and a road with the white line painted, and you follow the white line, and there's a rat with a white line over the rat, and the white line just carries on, and a whole bunch of other fun stuff, and then there's a really cool link, and it says, if you're Australian, click here, and the whole website turns upside down. But in the midst of all of that, he's got some, some really cool stuff, some of which I took two photos here. The first one is, can we put the other one on first, Tanya? Sorry. The income distribution, world income distribution in the year 2000, and you'll notice it's on a log scale, which means that it doesn't increase equally over the scale. It increases faster and faster. And what you'll see in the world in the year 2000, the average is probably a little bit more this way because it's skewed, but the median is over here somewhere. And being a log scale, that's probably about $2,000-ish, somewhere around there. I don't have the exact figure. But what that says to us, in the year 2000, the vast majority of people lived on a total annual income of around 2,000 US dollars, the equivalent of, which is what, 
15,000 rand, 15, 16,000 rand for the whole year. The whole year, 15,000, 16,000 rand. Most of us here are probably students hoping to become professionals. Obviously, some of us aren't, but, you know, moving up to about $10,000, that's 70,000, 80,000 rand. The vast, vast, vast majority of the world is less than 80,000 rand a year salary. Most of you, when you finish studying and you get an 80,000 rand offer, you're going to, maybe it's not such a good start. And you're going to want to be moving more towards, you know, a little bit more, which hey, wherever you fall here, but the point, wherever you, you yourself are or hope to be one day, the point is you're probably on the rich side of that graph. If the world was 100 people big, 53 people out of that 100 would today have $2 to get by on. 15 rand. 16 rand. In other words, if you go and you buy a McFlurry, that's what somebody would have for their entire existence for that day. To pay for food, to pay for clothing, to pay for, to pay for a place to stay, to pay for the entire life costs. My point that I'm trying to make is simply, you think you don't have money, but you probably do. A lot more than a heck of a lot of other people. The other graph is just to place it in a bit of context just in terms of specific countries. And this is over here is the US, and obviously we'll see it a little bit flatter, and the bulge here is probably what's that, about 50, 40, $40,000-ish, somewhere around there. Um, 20, maybe 30, I don't know. This is the US of A, which is obviously on the, the richer side. Then we've got China and India, which are pretty much on par with the rest of the world. And then we've got countries like Nigeria and the rest of Africa. Nigeria is probably richer than the majority of other countries, and it's pretty flat. And there, if you're earning $1,000 a year, $8,000 rand a year, you're on the rich side. You know, the, their lump is round about here. What is that about? Seven, eight hundred dollars, six, seven thousand rand a year total income for the vast majority of people in a country like Nigeria. The point, as I said, is a simple one. The point is you have money. And you and I, thanks, Pete, you can turn the lights back on. You and I are in a position where we have to ask ourselves what is the best way to steward that money. Because we, me individually, and I'm praying for you personally and for us as a church, to be found faithful with unrighteous mammon, which we have, so that God can commit to us the true riches. The stuff that's really valuable. So tonight I'm wanting to, to carry on from that theme and ask, well, how are we faithful in unrighteous mammon. What are the things that Scripture is very clear about that we need to maybe do to prove ourselves faithful? Now, obviously, as I said, we can never cover everything, but I'm hoping just to give us a little bit of a kickstart, cover some of the obvious ones, so that we can at least make sure we've got these covered in our life and allow the Holy Spirit, as we study Scripture and as we read Scripture, to bring out the rest of the stuff. Matthew chapter 25 parable most of us know really well. The kingdom of heaven, it's like a man traveling to a far country. He called his own servants and he delivered goods to them. 
To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Pretty sad to me, and unfortunate, probably better term, that the word talent here is used. Because I remember when I was at school, maybe some of you heard this, I heard this parable often from the teachers in school, telling us how we must look after our talents. And God has given some people a lot of talents and other people not so many talents, but we must look after our talents. The only point is they got the story completely wrong. Because it's got nothing to do with talents in the English sense of the word talents, abilities, giftings. Talent here refers specifically to money. And not one little gold coin, just as an aside. A talent at that stage was the, the largest money measurement, largest unit of money that you could refer to was a talent. It was sort of the biggest thing that you could refer to. It was like a lot of money. It, was, it weighed 34 kilograms and it was a, a block like this with a handle in so a grown man could carry one in each hand. 34 kilograms is pretty heavy and you, you carry this. That's a talent. A talent was the equivalent of 6,000 denarii. You earned, as a laborer, you would earn one denarii for a day's work. So 6,000 denarii would be 6,000 days' work. So depending on how much holiday you were to take, let's say you took 52, 300, what, 354 days and a half, quarter, whatever, days in a year. So if you took 54 and a quarter days a year holiday, which means pretty much one day a week, if you're 52, days in, or 52 weeks in a year, you're working then six days a week, 52 weeks a year for 20 years you would have 6,000 denarii, one talent. So think in a price bracket of what you think a good salary is, times by 20, and that's the equivalent of one talent. And it helps me a little bit just to place in context that God here isn't speaking about small change. He's speaking about a significant amount of money. Maybe just for some of you who study art and the math thing isn't working. If you have <laughs> if you happen to be a day laborer and you maybe worked in a garden or worked in a field or whatever and you got a hundred rand a day for argument's sake and you work 600 days, 20 years, taking a little bit of holiday, that would mean after 20 years you would have earned 600,000 rand. So this thing is worth at least 600,000 rand probably if not more, depending on how well-equipped and how well-educated you were. So this one guy comes, he gets five of these talents. Another one gets two and another one gets one. Then he who had received five talents went and he traded with them. And here, once again, we see clearly talking about money. We're not talking about gifts. Because I don't know about you, but I have... It would have been fun. Can you imagine high school? You're sitting there and you have a little barter class. And you find, we're writing a math test just now. So I go look for the guy who's got a gift in maths. And maybe the guy who's got a little bit of a gift with girls, he goes and he talks to the guy who's got a gift with maths. And they trade their talent. They're gifting. It's not what's happening here, okay? I know many have heard talents, but we can't really trade our talents so much, can we? I wish we could, but we can't. Maybe that's a good question to go home and meditate on. If I could trade my talent. What talent would I trade for? What would be my number one 
priority, I am going to trade for this talent. talent. But this is money talents that he's speaking about. They went and traded with him, and he made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two, gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground, and he hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with him. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you have delivered to me five talents. Look, here's another five which I've gained besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. And here we see that illustration. If we have been faithful in unrighteous mammon, then Scripture says God will entrust to us the true riches. And that's exactly what's happening here. God says to this guy, you've looked after these five talents. Let me give to you the true riches. I will make you ruler over many things. Where were we now? Verse 22. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I need you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground and look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, gather where I have not scattered seed. And so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have at least, I think is the implication here, received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him. Give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have even what he has will be taken away. Cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a bit of a hard way to finish, but I wonder how many of us, when we read Scripture, ignore that last verse. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. How many of us, when we approach God, we approach Him as this awesome, loving God who's torn the valley, invites us into His presence. But we miss a little bit the God who says to Moses, take off your sandals because the place where you're standing is holy. And sometimes I think we, in our, the beauty of our relationship with God, we, we lose a little bit of who He is. We lose a little bit of the awe of this awesome being we call God. The God of the whole universe, where mountains melt like wax before Him. And sometimes we stand in front of Him and we're a little bit proud and arrogant telling Him what to do. And when it comes to our finances, you know, so love just singing, God, I surrender all. Because I'm a little bit, in my life I know this is something that I'm wrestling through and just really trusting God for. I'm a little bit concerned because I think many of us probably are struggling with this thing. And If there's one thing that makes me nervous around Christians more than anything else, it's when they start speaking to me about how they're thinking about being obedient to God. How God spoke to them and they're considering doing what God has said. Because that just says to me there's something missing in our relationship with God. When God has spoken and I'm busy weighing up what God has said. Because if I come to the place where I truly have reverence for an almighty God 
and he speaks to me, then there's no consideration. There's no negotiation. There's no thinking. There's thinking it through. There's no talking with God and negotiating. There's just, okay, God, I better do this because you are God. Okay, God, let me just take the time to make sure I've heard you correctly because I don't want to get this wrong because you're God. So God, let me figure this out just because you're a hard God and I'm not going to miss this. Not, okay, God, well, let's talk about that. God, put that on us. I'll get back to you in another six months. And that relates to many parts of our life and I think it manifests probably more than anything else in our finances. Yes, yes, God, I know you've said and I'll, I'll think about it. I so love what Courtney Becker shared at the conference for those who were there. You know, every, every time an angel appears to a person in Scripture, do you know what the angel's first words are? Fear not. Don't be afraid. Because these angels appear and these people fall on their face and they're just like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm, I'm scared. What is the, am I going to live? You know, it's trepidation. And what Courtney said at the conference is, I think there's a lot of merit to it. If an angel were to appear to one of us today, you know what his first words would probably have to be? Fear. Be afraid. Just have an understanding of what's going on here because you're missing the reverence of the holiness of God. And the angel appears and both of us, oh, it's pretty cool. Hey, buddy, buddy, how are you doing? Missing the fact that it doesn't work like that when it comes to the king and his kingdom. Yes, he's awesome and he loves us so passionately. He's torn the veil. He welcomes us in as friends of God. But as we come as friends of God, there's still a little bit of shaking in our feet because this is God. And I better walk lightly and tread lightly. And I so love just singing the song of surrender. Because I think a part of that is just relating to, okay, God, you are God. Which means when you speak, I just listen. I don't get clever and try and negotiate with you and think why or why not, God. I just do whatever you've said because you've got. And that's an element that, that we see in here. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth because he's an unprofitable servant. And God looks at him and he says, this guy knew who I was, had an understanding of my heart and my nature, but just ignored it. I don't know about you, but when I read that, there's a little bit of shaking carrying on in my shoes. Saying, God, by your grace, I don't want to be that last guy, God. I want to have the well done. Not so much for the money, but just because, God, it's you and I better be well done but also, God, for that prize of the true riches, Lord, that I'm yearning for. Committing to me the things, God, that are of value to you. So let's look at uh, just one more really important thing more before we carry on that I think this, this parable illustrates at least to me. And that is that when God gives something to you and I to look after, He will hold you and I accountable for it. We cannot defer the stewardship test. We cannot say, oh, I don't feel comfortable about this. Um, Tian, will you do it for me? And then when God comes later on and says, um, talk to me about my talent, I say, no, go talk to Tian. I don't think God's going to be very impressed by that. We cannot defer the stewardship test. Whatever God brings into your life, 
it's your responsibility to steward and to look after. We cannot think, oh, let me just give it to somebody else and make it their problem. Yes, in that case, it does become their problem because now God's going to look at how they steward it. But the chances are, if we just do that, we're probably going to fail. Obviously, it's different if the Holy Spirit moves on us to give. I'll speak about that a little bit later. But just thinking we can run away from this test, not going to happen. It's a test every one of us have to embrace and face many times in our lives. So I've just highlighted five, five keys that I believe God would hold before us as stepping stones towards His faithfulness. The first one, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10, He supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. The first thing you and I need to do is distinguish between bread and seed. How do we do that? Well, that's really easy. Ask the Holy Spirit. And I'm not being facetious when I say that. Obviously, the illustration here is an agricultural example, and you'd have the guy, he's planted and labored, and now the harvest is ready, and he goes and harvests. He brings all the grain into the storehouse, and now he has to ask himself a question and make an informed decision. He says, next year, I want another harvest. But there's a prerequisite for harvest. Seed must be sown, otherwise harvest doesn't come in. So now I need to weigh up all of my harvest that I have here and make a decision and allocate a portion of this to seed and the rest we're going to grind and make food out of. Bread. And God says He gives seed and He gives bread. And one of the biggest mistakes we as Christians make is we don't distinguish which one is which. Some of us maybe don't even realize there are two. So we either just give everything a seed and then we're hungry because there's no bread, or we eat all the bread and then there's no seed. Bread and seed. We need to trust God to distinguish between the two of them. Once we've distinguished between the two of them, maybe just another thing in that point. Bread and just practically, what does that mean? slightly different angle. It means every rand that you receive you can only do one of two things with. There are only two options. You can spend it or you can give it to somebody else. Those are your only two options. Some of you say, what about savings investment and those type of things? Just as an aside, um, Michal did a great session session on savings and investments yesterday morning. So if you missed yesterday's stuff, we'll have CDs here next week which you can order or you can They'll be pre-made. You can buy them next week or you can download the sessions off the internet. But what is savings and what is investments? Why am I saving and why am I investing? Well, I'm just saving and investing so that I can spend or give later. Maybe I'm saving and investing and I'm deferring the spending or I'm deferring the giving to a next generation and obviously there's merit in that. But if I were to go and save a whole bunch throughout my life and leave it for Lisa in some form of trust fund or whatever it may be, and her brothers and sisters, many multitudes of those, and they have it, and they just keep saving and saving and saving and saving, and their children and their children and their children and their children and their children, you know what, eventually, I might as well have just spent it. If no one is going to spend it, what's the point of saving it? So all saving is simply deferred future spending or giving. 
So every rand I get, the only two options, I can spend it, eat it, bread in that sense, or I can give it seed. So what about the bread thing? Well, the first thing that I want us to just get settled with, enjoy your bread. There's a religious spirit around that would have us as Christians feel so bad about enjoying life. And no, 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 enjoying life because there's a spiritual part of life I enjoy. But in the money part, I can't enjoy the money. The reality is God is entrusting and bringing money into your life, bread. Eat it, put butter on it, put whatever spread you like on it, make like a beginning of the one month sandwich. Guys, remember that old salty cracks ad, beginning of the month salty cracks and end of the month salty cracks? Have a beginning of the month sandwich. God has got no problem with you enjoying your bread. There's a religious spirit that makes us, no, 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 we can't. And unfortunately, a lot of what we see on TV, or Christian TV, I was saying in the first service, there's a lot of good stuff on Christian TV. Unfortunately, I just seem to happen to turn it on every time there's nonsense on it. And the nonsense tells us that God is only interested in you having as much as you possibly can, because that's what God lives for. God lives for your next Ferrari. And the sad thing is, there's an element of truth in what they're speaking about. There's a heart, I think, behind it, which is very lacking, but there's an element of truth in that God wants you to enjoy the bread that He gives you. Ecclesiastes, if you've never read the book, go home and read it. It's a, I love reading Ecclesiastes. It's just such a sober view on life. Chapter 2. Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink, that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. Chapter 3. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. Also that every man, probably woman too, should, in, should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Here is what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun or in his air-conditioned office all the days of his life which God gives him. For it is his heritage. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. Don't feel bad if you enjoy your bread. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says the same principle. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, that's proud, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Why does He give us all these things? To enjoy. Let them do good, and that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold of eternal life. Lovely scripture. You know, God gives us richly all things to enjoy. That doesn't mean He gives all of us everything. But whatever He gives you, He gives for you to enjoy. The bread part. And I want to encourage you, and maybe just trust the Holy Spirit to break something about that religiousness that says to us, oh, we can't enjoy it. Or if you enjoy it, just make sure nobody sees that you're enjoying it. Because to be truly Christian means to be very poor. But Scripture doesn't say that at all. It doesn't say... To be truly Christian means to be very rich and have all the money in the world either. But it does say 
to enjoy that which God does give you. Whatever happens to come to you, enjoy it. Don't feel bad about eating the bread that God gives you. Sometimes, you know, in my reading of Scripture, I'm, I'm more struck in some verses by what Scripture doesn't say than what it does say. And what the Scripture doesn't say, if we can go back, it does not say, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty and to give everything away. And sometimes our assumption is that what Scripture says. If I'm rich, then I must, give everything, I must give everything away. Because God said that to the rich young ruler. He said to him, give everything away. Sell it and give to the poor and follow me. Just as a rule of thumb, I think a healthy way of viewing Scripture is when God is speaking publicly, Jesus or wherever it may be, specifically the teaching of Jesus in this case, when he's speaking publicly, the Sermon on the Mount, he's speaking to a whole bunch of people, whatever he says there applies to everyone. It's generic truth. But when he speaks to the rich young ruler personally as an individual, then it's not generic truth for everybody. When he says to the rich young ruler, sell all your possessions and come and follow me, He's not saying that to everyone. He's saying it to the rich young ruler. It might mean that he's saying it to certain individuals. But I don't think it's, we can make doctrine out of that. I don't think Scripture says we must all be poor because God said to that one guy, go and sell everything you have. Because history, if we read a little bit on in church history, that guy wasn't so poor later on again. There was just a hold in his heart towards money that God wanted to address and God wanted to break. Church history teaches that that guy happened to be was Barnabas, who physically wrote a large part of the New Testament because he was Paul's traveling buddy. He was the guy that led, discipled Paul largely. Was that rich young ruler? Traveled with Paul, saw the world, but God had to break a hole that money had on him, and he would never have gone to where God had led him and the calling that God had for him if he was still holding on to the land and the property and the much stuff that he had in his heart and in his life. So scripture doesn't say, I was speaking about this to some of the students in the groups that I saw last year. I think I used an illustration. Can you imagine how many of you are students? Okay, so you could probably relate. The rest of you have been students, so hopefully you can relate too. When you're poor as a student, because the students never have any money, except to go to McDonald's and to go to Coldplay and to go to the movies and to go to Kings of Leon, and to go to the rugby. And then unsaved Christians have money to go buy beer, and more beer, and cigarettes, and more beer. Do you know how much, to, to, you know how much money you could free up if you just stopped drinking? Have you guys noticed that? Or just stop smoking? That's my biggest, apart from the smell and everything about smoking, it's just a waste of money. You know, you're spending hundreds of money, random months, every month, every day, on smoking. I don't get it. But anyway, or on drinking. I mean, you can have like two Cokes or you can have 10 beers. And you know what else you can do with 10 beers worth of money? What is that nowadays? Like 150 bucks. Every night or three times a week. It's a lot of money. Okay. But anyway, what was I saying? What was it, Tanya? Oh, I was saying to the students when you're poor and you don't have any money except for those luxuries, then you go home on the holiday, and you say, Dad, after the holiday, I'm going to need money to buy books, and it's athletic season, so I need new shoes, and I need 
some clothes and I need money for rent and I need, you know, all the money that I need to go staying living as a student. And your dad says, okay, great. I'll deposit the money into your bank account. And the first week of varsity comes and Friday you phone your dad. You say, dad, I need some money. And your dad's, what for? He said, no, I need to buy some textbooks and I need food and I need to pay for accommodation and I need new shoes because it's running season. And he looks and he says, well, didn't I just give you all of that money a couple of days ago? And you say, yeah, yeah, you did, but I gave it all away. I don't know about you, but I don't think my dad would have been very happy. My dad would probably have said, well, I'm going to suffer. You know? Get a job, make a plan. And I honestly think that God probably views it much the same. That when He gives us bread, and we give the bread away, then we can't go complain that we don't have. We have. We just gave it away. We were bad stewards of what He gave us. He gave us provision. He gave us that which we needed. We just weren't obedient as to what He wanted us to do with it. We thought we knew better than He did. Because our friend was poor. Our friend had a problem. What probably would have happened is if we'd gone to our daddy, because in this case our daddy owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and we said, Daddy, you gave me all of this cool stuff and it's really nice, but I met the guy who's staying next to me this year and he's really struggling. Can we make a plan to help him? That's a good start, I think. Yeah, okay, give him that and don't give him that because you need that for that and that, but that you can give him. And then I'll make a plan to to give back to you for the other stuff that you're going to need to buy. But there's this religious mindset that says to us, God wants us just to give it all away. I want to hold before you, I think that's shocking bad stewardship. As a matter of fact, if you came to me and you said you had these and these and these needs, and I gave you the money to address those needs, and you came to me next week, like the example we just had, and you say, oh, I've got these and these and these needs, can you give me money? I'm going to say, there's no ways I'm giving you money. Because I can't trust you with what I've already given you. Why didn't you come and speak to me? It was my money. It's not your right to give it away. And in the same way, when God entrusts money to us, it's never our money. It's always His money. And we spoke about that last week. So don't just give it all away. It does, however, say, be ready to give, willing to share. And I think that's important. When God says give, that we give. Willing to share. When God says, yes, please, don't be emotionally attached to it. But don't be a bad steward and just give away. Because I happen, just as an aside, when it comes to giving, just a personal conviction I have, I've made. Actually, we'll get to that later. Sorry, I'm running ahead of myself. So the first one was enjoy your bread. Well, the first one was distinguish between seed and seed and bread. The second one was enjoy the bread. The third one, I don't really like this one. Students have got no clue what I'm talking about, but the working people will know. Give to Caesar what is his. He said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Luke 20, 25. Matthew says the same. Mark says exactly the same. What does that mean? It says pay your taxes. And pay them properly. Don't try and hide stuff. Don't be difficult about it. If you're going to err, rather err on paying too much tax than too little tax. Rather be found 
being willing to give too much than willing to give too little. I'm not saying don't be clever with your tax. I'm not saying don't structure your finances in a way which to minimize the tax burden, the difference between tax avoidance and tax evasion. Tax avoidance, pretty nice tax evasion, gets you in jail. Walk in integrity. For me personally, it's pretty easy. How do I decide kind of... I try and be clever in a financial sense about my tax in such a way that if the taxman, the inspector were to come and they were to do an audit, I could sit there, open all the books, have absolutely nothing to hide, and all he would say is, well done, you manage your finances well. Not, problem, 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 fine, fine, jail. Not fine, it's okay. Fine as in penalty fine, you know, penalty fine, jail. That, you, you know you can't, I know, but I tried my luck. No, we're not going to try our luck when it comes to giving to Caesar what is Caesar's. Let's have hearts saying, God, you provide abundantly for me, so if this is what the authorities ask and demand of me and under our law, obviously it's not breaking the word of God because it's confirmed by the word of God that we must pay our taxes, so let's pay our taxes properly. The fourth one, sow your seed. Eat your bread, enjoy eating your bread, Put the best cream cheese that you can find on it. Have fun with it. Pay your taxes. Don't try and hide from the taxes. I need to go fill in my little e-filing thing soonish. When is the cut-off date? I, think, I hope I haven't missed it yet. Then I'm in trouble. Sorry? November. Got a bit of time still. Genesis 8 verse 22. While the earth remains, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, Day and night shall not cease. Obviously, in a physical sense, that's true, but I believe it's a spiritual sense as well. Seed time and harvest will always be here as long as this earth is here. After the flood, God comes and He makes His promise to Noah. Almost said Abraham. <laughs> he makes His promise to Noah. He says, this is always going to be there. Galatians 6 says, don't be deceived. God isn't mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And this isn't saying, please, I think some people misunderstand this completely. This isn't saying whatever. So if I take a hundred rand and I sow one hundred rand, then I'm going to reap one hundredfold, and one hundredfold of one hundred rand is like what track was ten days in rand. So I'm gonna go and just I'm gonna sow one hundred rands and then I'm gonna reap ten thousand rands because God's this big lottery machine and I just put my coins in and you know, pull the lever and God's going to supply. That's, that's not what it means here. It's talking about the context of sowing righteousness. If you sow righteousness, you will reap righteousness. If you sow unrighteousness, you will reap unrighteousness. Dion yesterday was speaking at the finance seminar. I did a fantastic session. I loved his session. And he said, you know, he's discovered in his life sometimes he gives financially. And he reaps in a completely different area. It's got nothing to do with finance, except that God spiritually has decided they're linked. He gives here financially, and he reaps wisdom there in a completely different decision. He gives here financially, and he reaps in a relationship over there, which in the natural isn't connected, except God has connected them intricately to one another. 2 Corinthians 9 carries on the same theme. It says, This I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. If God says that seed and you aren't 
wanting to make bread out of your seed, you know you're not going to have much of a harvest. But if you sow bountifully, you'll also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. I love this promise that God says that if you embrace giving, that He will provide in all things for every good work. If you embrace this understanding that I'm going to eat my bread but give my seed, then there's always going to be enough bread. That's what this is saying. The bread isn't going to run out. I'm not going to give away all my bread, my bread because I'm giving. It's not bread. It never was bread. God ordained it to be seed, so from the beginning it's always been seed. And that seed, God says, if I give it, He will ensure that He provides. But this scripture gives us a whole bunch of lessons about giving. First of all, do it, sow, and sow bountifully. I want to encourage us to give liberally. Get back to that at the end. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. That to me is the, personally the number one rule when it comes to giving. Give as you purpose in your heart. Give as you have decided. Give as you have thought through and made a decision. This is what I'm giving. Something that we kind of, you'll probably notice we do the offering a little bit different than in most places and we'll probably change it again at some stage when we get an even better way to do it. Because the last thing we ever want is a situation where somebody feels pressured to give. Someone feels emotional to give. This guy has just given up and he's just given this great, rousing, offering message and now I'm just going to give. Emotionally, impulsively. Because I believe Scripture says that's the one way we shouldn't give. It's different when I'm taking out the wallet and God says, I know you've been thinking about giving that much, but I actually want you to give this much. That's different when the Holy Spirit speaking to us. But just personally in my life, I've made a decision, I don't give impulsively and emotionally. So it doesn't matter how much that little kid is crying and throwing the tantrum. I'm not going to give because he's throwing the tantrum. I'm not going to give out of the emotional desire to want to help the guy. I'm going to just take a step back close my eyes if I need to, and just ask God, God, what are you saying about giving in this situation? God, I'm going to make a purposeful decision. Because God, I don't believe, has ever called us to give emotionally. One of the things that, you know, you've got a whole bunch of people doing really great work, feeding kids and all of those things, and even with Kibwe kids. But it's so easy to stir the emotion and to get people to give emotionally. But I believe that's ungodly giving and more than that, that's ungodly solicitation of giving. But let's hold before people the need. Let's hold before people the reality and then say, I'd rather than you make a decision now. Go home, pray about it and make a decision tomorrow morning. Get that worst emotion out of you and purpose in your heart that this is what you feel God is leading you to do. So when it comes to giving, that to me is crucial. Not grudgingly or of necessity. Don't give because the guy's nagging so much and you just want to keep him quiet. Or here, take the 50 rand, and as the 50 rand goes, you're watching the 50 rand go around the corner and you think, I actually want you to come back. Give so that when we give, we can let go. And it, it's gone. It's not mine anymore. Go do with it.
whatever God would lead you to do with it. For God loves a cheerful giver. You know the first bit, it says, so bountifully. And the scripture is true, and you know there's other scriptures which you hear the Americans say all the time, that if you give, if you phone now, but wait within the next two minutes, if you do it then, then you will receive your miracle pressed down, shaken together, running over. Have you guys seen that? Praise the Lord, you don't watch Christian TV. You've been delivered. But you know, there's that infomercial type, and infomercials, have you guys ever seen an infomercial? You've got guy with, or not even guy, lady with brim, hurting back, mop breaking, twisting thing. And then, do you still struggle with back pain and sore knees? You know, mop, mop. But, but, look how clean it can be. And then you see this guy with the back and it's all healthy, jivey, picking up his kids because he's got floor whiz 2000 or whatever, you know. And floor whiz 2000 will solve all your problems in the whole of life and then you'll have a good back too, you know. But wait, wait, wait. If you buy now, we'll even give you the new improved version of floor whiz. You know, that stupidness that drives the emotion. If I don't buy this thing now, my back's going to break for the rest forever. And that's what they're going at because they understand this emotive part of us to want to buy impulsively. Anyone here kind of studying marketing and retail type stuff? Do you know that a clever retailer will go and they sit and they've got a whole bunch of items that they know are impulsive items? And they put those at the till, when you're standing at the till, in the queue. Just a, Those things aren't there by accident. That's scientifically worked out. I'm being serious. What are the things that people are most likely to buy on impulse? Chocolates. <laughs> That's why those things and the Coke and, you know, the fridges, as you, they're not there because there wasn't enough space in the other fridge. The guys scientifically work these things out. They do surveys and they figure what is most impulsive and let's put that right there in their faces and just tempt them every time they walk past it. And the infomercials do that. And unfortunately, some Christian people do that too. But I had a point. Oh yeah. There's truth in that. There's truth in all that rubbish we see on Christian TV. And as I said just now, not all Christian TV is bad. Just the Christian TV I get to watch. Actually, I found out Saturday morning at 3 o'clock, there's something decent on TBN. <laughs> Israel Hooten's got a show. Praise the Lord for a PVR, you know can actually want something decent. But anyway, there's truth in all of this prosperity gospel in, in the sense that it's a biblical principle. That if we give, God will honor that giving. But I honestly believe that God wants us to move beyond that where I'm not giving because I'm giving now and as I give this 10 rent now, I'm going to reap my car next month. I'm just giving because God said give and I like giving. And God likes giving, so I'm just giving to give. And yes, God will take care of the rest, but I know He's going to take care of the rest. And because I know He's going to take care of the rest, I've got no problem just giving. And yes, I suppose there is merit in terms of sowing out of need or sowing into a specific thing. Maybe one day when you, like me, growing up and you're fantasizing about one day buying a house and you see there's somebody else also looking to buy a house, and you don't have nearly enough money to buy a house, but you can just contribute a little bit to their house, 
So I suppose there's merit in, now I sow into their house, and God, I'm trusting that one day I'll reap back. But God, if I don't, that's also fine. Because I'm not giving to get, I'm just giving for the sake of giving, God. Because God so loved the world that he gave. No strings attached. So let's just, I really believe God wants us to be in that place where we give and we give bountifully and we give liberally and where our question changes a little bit. I have a suspicion that most of us, when we work at our budget, maybe some of you, we're the special people who in this week, after listening last week, you went home and you worked out a budget this week. Anyone? Praise the Heer, a paar van julle geluister. Okay. But I have a sneaky, sneaky suspicion that most of us, when we work out our budgets or we revise our budgets as we should do from time to time, our question when it comes to giving is, God, how little can I give? God, how little seed? How small can I keep this giving portion? And I believe God would have us grow to a place where our question just flips around a little bit and our question becomes, God, how much can I give? Not how little, God, what is the minimum, God, but, but God, help me to stretch this giving, but God, God, let, let's make a deal here. I'd love a raise. And this isn't to manipulate God. It's not my heart at all in this. But God, let, every time I get a raise, I'm going to increase my giving percentage. How about we do that, God? So I'll start at a, a good spot. I'll start with my first salary. I'll start at giving 15%, Lord, of my first salary. And then, God, for every pay rise after that, God, I'm going to increase that. However much, just a suggestion for you to go pray about and think about. Just think differently about the way that we're choosing to give. Rather than get stuck in this rut of, oh God, I need every cent I can probably muster. No, you probably could do with a little bit less. You'd be just fine, actually. And as a matter of fact, you'd probably be better off giving a little bit because your heart wouldn't be so attached to the money. And then God would be able to use you a little bit more and you'd see people's lives getting changed because you can buy the guy there who's, you know he's hungry, you can buy him a sami. And you can give liberally, bountifully, not asking God how little can I give, rather asking God how much can I give. Philippians 4. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. I think that's an indictment against the church of that time. And I have a suspicion that if Paul was to write this today, he would probably include us in the no church category. Church sharing about giving and receiving. Let me ask you, how often in the last while have you shared with somebody about giving and receiving? How often have you spoken about how much you're giving and how much you're receiving? Because your income, whether it be a salary, whatever way the income comes in, that's receiving, that's getting from God. The income side of the budget. Then there's the other side of the budget, which is the bread side and the seed side. No church concerned with me concerning giving and receiving. And obviously he's speaking about practice, actually practicing it, not just talking about it. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and I abound. I've got everything I need, he says. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, 
well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He says, guys, I thank you so much for what you're giving to me. It's adding to me, it's blessing, but you know, more than the stuff I'm getting, what I'm excited about is the fruit that you're getting. And this is where it gets a little bit complicated because I believe God would have us come to that place where I individually, when I give, and you individually, when you give, I'm giving just because I love giving. But where we're encouraging the people around us to give because we understand that fruit is going to abound to their account. So I'm not giving because I'm after the fruit. I'm giving because God has liberated me to give. But I'm encouraging my friend to give because I'm after the fruit in his life for him. Does that make sense? If we put it that way. And with that as a little bit of a background, I want to challenge you guys a little bit. In your small groups in the next week or so, if you're a small group facilitator, I really would like you guys to do this if you haven't done it yet. Have everyone come together for cell. Okay, guys, open your laptops, whatever. Budget's on the table. Boom. Let's walk in the light with the stuff that's important. Let's talk to one another. Let's look at, oh, that's a pretty nice receiving side. But let's talk about the giving side. How much are you giving? Where are you giving? Why, are you, why aren't you giving? I think maybe you're giving too much. You, do you have bread to eat? This, let's just let's get that right. Let's help one another a little bit that, with that. Because the two areas in the world, never mind the church, that cause the biggest pain, physical, sexual, romantic relationships, money. Those lost under are the two biggest issues, not only in the church, in the world. But for some reason, those are the two biggest issues that we're not allowed talking about. And hopefully we've got you guys and girls talking more about the romantic relationship thing, walking in the light, walking in purity. But why can't we do it with money? The world says, no, don't talk about money. But I believe God's saying we must begin to share with one another about giving and receiving. And just to put it out there, I did that a couple of months ago. Went to two guys in my small group. I said, guys, here's my budget. All of it. Nothing hiding. The whole thing is there. Look at it. Tell me if there's anything that alarms you, alerts you, anything that you're uncomfortable with. Help me to get this right to walk in the light. Because God, I know this is important. And I know it can so quickly go so I'm pretty confident with what I have here, but I wanted to be confident with it 50 years from now as well. And the best way for me to do that is to put that in the light. Say, guys, come have a look. Regularly. Actually, I'll put it online and you can look whenever you want. And I want to encourage you guys to do the same. Let's start talking about our giving and our receiving. Let's bring it into that. Let's break that big hold that the enemy has on silence around our finances. Giving. I want to read. I couldn't print it out, unfortunately. Google Books doesn't let us do that yet. Raymond Ackerman, anyone ever heard of him before? Raymond Ackerman is the, not quite the founder of Pick and Pay. He bought Pick and Pay when there were three shops. And I think he bought it for 620,000 rand. The whole of Pick and Pay is now this massive empire. And obviously at one stage he was trying to figure this out and he was growing in retail, in the retail industry. 
So he went to this Mr. Dudweiler, how's that for a name, who had a whole bunch of retail stores, I think in Switzerland or something, I'm not sure exactly where. But he went and spoke to him. And in his book, The Four, four Legs of the Table, Raymond Ackerman writes, the evidence that profitable enterprises could garner greater rewards when, running, when run according to principles higher than the mere pursuit of profits was graphically demonstrated during the first half-hour interview granted to me by Mr. Dittweiler. At that time, I sat across a small desk in front of the gruff and somewhat intimidating retailer. He quickly put some finishing touches to a rudimentary drawing and presented it to me with a flourish. What he had drawn was a simple picture of a small house. Thick bars had been penciled in across the doors and the windows, each secured with a heavy padlock. I wondered what this meant. Gottlieb Duttweiler, I love that name. Gottlieb Duttweiler explained, the house, he said, represented his businesses and the heavy defenses on windows and door were there in an attempt, futile as it happened, to stop money he had given away from getting back in. A business fighting to keep money out? The idea seemed preposterous. Yet Mr. Dittweiler told me unequivocally that the more he tried to give away profits to charities, to cooperative profit-sharing schemes, the more the money flowed back as increased sales and higher profits. At last, the piece of the puzzle that had eluded me since my undergraduate days, how the ethics of consumer sovereignty and social responsibility might be practiced within a business without compromising or limiting the horizons of profit was revealed. The conundrum was solved. I just so love these don't know them personally, but my assumption is ungodly people, not necessarily Christians following God, just catching on to a universal truth that God has instituted that when we give, it opens up a door somewhere. Not for the sake of giving so we can just have this flow coming in, but when we really give for the sake of uplifting and building into people's lives, God smiles upon that. We become conduits. So the first four, the first thing we said was discern, distinguish, seed, bread, which is which. Second one, enjoy the bread. Don't feel bad about enjoying the bread that God gives you. Some of you, God is going to give a lot of bread and don't feel bad about it. Some of you are not going to get so much bread. Learn to enjoy the brittle bread that you get. The third one, what is the third one? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. The fourth one, Sow that seed. Don't be hesitant. Just sow it. And then the fifth one, Proverbs 9, Proverbs 3, sorry. Honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruit of all your increase. Your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. I am a very firm believer in the first fruits principle. The principle, I didn't have the scripture in there, but this principle that says, if the first fruit is hump, is hump if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. What is the principle there? Well, Scripture just says if you imagine somebody once again harvesting, bringing in a whole bunch, and he takes the first of that, and he consecrates it first to God, becomes holy. God smiles upon the rest, and the rest of that material possession becomes pure, becomes holy in God's eyes too. And he says, I will bless the leftovers. If the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. I'm such, I just thank God for this, establishing this principle in my life many years ago. 
When I was a student, you know, when you're a student, you're not getting much money, so it's easy to give 10% of nothing, because 10% of nothing is still nothing. But then as we grow, and as the income starts coming, you know that it gets harder and harder to give, because percentage-wise it gets more and more, not percentage-wise necessarily giving, but the value I'm giving on a constant percentage gives more and more. And if we haven't learned in the discipline, and got ourselves in the discipline early on to give, then it becomes really hard to later on just say, okay, fine, now I'm earning 50,000 rand a month, now I'm going to give 5,000 rand a month away. Because now 5,000 rand is a lot. I can do a lot with 5,000 bucks. But if I've grown in that from the beginning, it makes it so much easier. And I just want to throw this out there, once again, not to boast, it's not what it's about at all. But one of the, I prayed as a student once, just about this first fruit one thing. So my first job, my first real job, before that I worked for Raymond Ackerman, I was a teller, if we can pray, you know, beep, 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 beep. Anyone else do that? Yeah, beep, beep, beep. And then we had races because we were competitive and me and my buddy would be on the other side and we'd go beep, 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 beep. And we see who can do the most, most scans per hour, however much, however we measured it at the time. But anyway, whole bunch of odd jobs. But my first real job was when I was teaching at the varsity. And as I was teaching, my first salary came. The first, can't call it a paycheck because that's a lie. It's not a paycheck anymore. It's like a pay electronic transfer, you know. Deposit into your bank account. But I just made a piece long before that. First fruits, God. So as it came in, straight back out. I just made a decision. I said, God, it's going to be tough for a month, I know. But God, I'm consecrating this period of time that I'm going to be working. I'm consecrating it to you. Because if the first fruit is holy, the lump also is holy. And just looking back now, God so blessed me in the job. I just had the most incredible open doors and just opportunities for like really cool stuff and random bonuses. And God just opened doors. And I think a part of it is just from the beginning, God, I said, I'm consecrating this to you, the first fruit thing. And then it carries on. I wanted to say at the beginning... Maybe I can say it now. I know some people have an issue with this, and it's fine. You're welcome to have an issue with any of the elements I'm speaking about. Just like always, you can have an issue with anything I say. We have no problem with that. But I do want to encourage you that if it doesn't sit comfortably with you or you don't feel this is biblical, just at least go home and ask God, God, is this an accurate reflection of your heart from Scripture? Just at least do that. If he says no, then no, that's fine. But if it's an accurate reflection, then let's get on the same page where God is. There are a whole bunch of scriptures that relate specifically in bringing the first fruits. Malachi 3 speaks of one of them. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. You said, in what way shall we return? Well, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you. I love how God says, you want to test me about something? Just test me about this thing. You don't believe me? Give it a go. Try me in this. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. He will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. 
and all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. I believe in this first fruit principle, and I believe in bringing it to the storehouse. What is the storehouse? The place where you get fed spiritually. Bring it there. Each one of us, we know where our storehouse is. Bring it and say, God, I'm trusting you. I love the question that a lot of people have. Kind of, should I tithe? Shouldn't I tithe? I just love a good question that someone asked. Well, do you really think you can do more with 100% than God can do with 90%? I also love what another friend of mine said to you. He said, you know, for a long time he thought God was so cool. Because God let him keep 10%. God let him keep 90% and God only took 10%. But what if God were to ask to turn that around and come to you and say, yeah, but for the next while I want you to give 90% and keep 10%. 90% seed, 10% bread. And I honestly believe, and once again you're welcome to disagree with me, I honestly believe that the scriptural truth is that the tithe, which literally means 10%. So you can't tithe 5%. That's like whitewashing a wall with red paint. You know, it's, it's impossible to do. You can give 5% and it's great. But when Scripture speaks about 10%, it's specifically speaking about 10%, a tithe. And I honestly believe that there's something spiritual in our obedience to that that breaks that manipulative hold that finance has on it. It releases us from the whole of money and brings us into a relationship with God and our money in a different dynamic. And I've experienced it in my life just over and over and over again and I know that this is a principle that God has spoken to me so clearly about. And that 10% in God's eyes isn't the ultimate. I was saying yesterday, I think it was at this finance seminar, I'm trusting God that as a church we will grow to the point where we don't even talk about the 10% anymore. Because we all understand that there's a kingdom advancing and the 10% is a starting point. And as we grow, we move way beyond the 10%. As God increases finance into our life, we go and we say, not God, how little can I give? God, how much can I give? Not to boost Philip's salary. I said that last week. I want to say that again. My salary isn't related to the income that comes in or doesn't come in in a month determined by remuneration committee and you know there's ways that we look at that stuff and a whole bunch of factors the last of which is how, what our turnover is giving more just enables us to do more when it comes to the kingdom of God and we should be giving outside very much free will offerings and arms just by a way for those of you who haven't noticed those orange bins that used to be in the front that are at the back now that's where we place our arms if you've got clothes or shoes or whatever purpose in your heart that you want to give Bring it and drop it in there and we'll distribute it to the poor as God would lead. But I'm trusting God that as a church we'll come onto that place where He can trust us, where He can say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let me commit to you the true riches. And these five things that I've just mentioned just quickly, I believe are, are things that God just would have us settle in our hearts. There's bread and there's seed. We can eat the bread as much as we want. We better eat it and enjoy it and not feel bad about it. Give to Caesar what is his and the second part of the scripture, same scripture said, and give to God what is God's. Ties in bringing it to the storehouse. 
Because if 100% is God's, then if God wants me to give 10% specifically, then who am I to argue? It's his anyway. And then, sow the seed. Give liberally. Give freely. Give as the Holy Spirit would direct, not just emotionally or impulsively, but give based upon a purposeful decision made in my heart. And maybe just one more thing before we close. You know, some people say, oh, tithing is law. Tithing is, you know, we passed the law. If you study scripture, you'll see tithing was way before there was a law. And then tithing was instituted in the law just to get clarity to it. And in scripture, Jesus confirms and he says, continue to tithe. In the same way that the law says don't murder. And the new dispensation of grace, if you want to call it that, the New Testament says if you hate somebody, you've already committed murder. The law says do not commit adultery. The um, grace says if you have just looked at a woman with lust in your eyes, you've already committed adultery in your heart. The standard under grace is much higher than the standard under the law. The expectation under grace is much higher than the expectation under the law. The law says 10%. I say grace says everything belongs to God because it belongs to Him anyway. And that's the nature. I'm not going to get into all of that now, but the early church, nobody counted anything they had was their own. But they each gave to God. They each sold and shared and gave to God because they understood there's a vision, there's a purpose, there's something here that needs to happen and we're all clubbing in to make this thing happen. So I'm going to ask the ushers to pass the offering bags around. And if you want to give this evening, please feel free to give. Don't give compulsion. Don't give out of necessity. Don't give because you think anybody other than God is watching. Give obedient to God as He is giving it as His purpose in your heart. And as you do that, I'm going to ask I didn't prime them for this, so they might just slap me. But I'm going to ask Andre, oh, not Andre, Marco and Darnay to quickly come up and just to share what you guys shared in cell the other night about this. Excuse? Yeah, like an altar because it's two different angles, the same story. Marco will tell us in 30 seconds and Darnay will be a bit longer. Okay, I hope we're thinking about the same thing. Um, now, I was just, um, we were actually going through a, a rough patch financially for the past year or so, um, but I was um, challenged about two weeks ago when I was listening to a, also a sermon Pastor Fred preached, because um, I still have to pay my wife's studies. <laughs> it's still outstanding, but anyway. And... Um, so, for in this year, in this past six months, it was about, out of the past six months, I think three of the months that I tithed. Because every month I'd look at, yes, I still have this study debt, and I still have this, and I, um, so I kind of, Lord, how can I, how can I tithe? It's, it's not going to work out. Anyway, and then I was just challenged, um, God challenged me, and, and um, well, actually, Fred, God challenged me through Fred. And Fred said that, okay, next time when you're in a situation like that, first go to the government and go, go ask them, listen, I'm really having a tough month now. Um, 
can you consider that, that I don't pay tax this month? Um, and so on. And then, then after you've tried that, um, go to God and, and ask Him if it's okay and not to give um, what belongs to Him. So it's actually very convicted. It might sound like a, like a harsh word, but I um, kind of found freedom in it not to, to make tithing optional, but to put it aside as give to God what belongs to God and uh, not make it something you decide about um, every month and wonder about, but really make that decision in your heart to, to give to God what belongs to you. Okay, I think that's enough of that story, but I just want to add that God is through this time that we have gone, because with my parents, I wouldn't say they're smart with finances always, but they always used to give liberally. So I um, never really learned, in a sense, to um, to have a need in in most in anything. And um, when we started, like God has taught me so much, and now I can really say God has delivered me from things that I didn't even know I needed to be delivered of. But like as a girl, just small comforts that God has has showed me, like it really isn't important and now um, I think God needed to take us through a time like this maybe more for me than for him so much but obviously for him too but to show me that God is really everything and more than I need because now those things don't even matter to me like things like clothes and those emotional cokes and chocolates that Philip was talking about like really to say that even when you you want that and it seems small but it's not necessary now and then to go with whatever that need is and to take it to God and God has just showed us like after he's made that decision like just small things that he showed me today that is that has came up like like with the raise for instance and and just opportunities doors that God has opened for us to be smarter with finances after we decided to do um what what his word tells us to do and after God spoke to Marco like that and now there's opportunities for us to be even smarter with it in a sense and how he really has given back even though we've just decided to give um, we're already receiving yeah. okay and wait I had a dream um, before oh yeah this is actually how cool the story I knew we were going to miss something the night before God was speaking to Marco about um, okay say it was a Tuesday just for arguments like I can't remember the day but the night, um, I had a dream. And in my dream, as I said, my family has a bit of a not such a good history with finances. Um, not on purpose, I think. They just don't follow God yet, all of them. But, um, and in my dream, I was going up. Um, I was climbing a building. like almost, It looked like a government building or a police building or something like that. There were many people in... Um, like police clothes or something. And um, Michal was there in my dream. And God, while I was having this dream, he, he told me that he, Michal is in your dream because for you, Michal represents smart, like finances. Like I look up to him in finances. So for me to know that this was about money, God put in there. Anyway, so then um, I wanted to do something. And what I wanted to do was something just like, you know, student fun, like going to a res and maybe stealing someone's bike for a day and taking it back. I don't know what exactly it was, but it was something like that. Something that, that seemed um, senseless and stupid fun and not harmful. And then as I was about, but I had to go up the building to do whatever this thing was. And as I was about to go up the building, um, the Holy Spirit told me, don't do it. But he was very, um, very strict. Like, 
And then I wanted to do it again. I was like, no, man, it's fine. It's not, it's nothing serious. And he was like, don't do it. And then I wanted to do it the third time. And the Holy Spirit, it was almost like he really held me back more than I deserved to be held back. But he was really like, don't do it. And the next moment I saw how my whole family was actually going up this, my side of the family, going up this um, building. And I couldn't stop them. I wanted to stop them. And it was like the Holy Spirit was like, he could only protect me because I belonged to him. And then afterwards, um, I was like, okay, what is this about? Maybe this is serious, you know. Anyway, I was, I was so confused in that moment. And then after this, it was night in my dream. And I saw how my whole family was locked up. Like they, they went to jail because of this thing that they had done. And there were little details like my mother looked back because she gave her life to the Lord. And she looked back while she was going up. And then God told me she has a shorter sentence like in jail, like stuff like that. But then I was standing there and there was ambulances and police cars and stuff like in my dream, it was hectic. And then all of a sudden I realized, but this is actually very big. And the Holy Spirit was just gracious enough because we belonged to him, um, that we were protected. Yeah. And we were like, I really felt God telling me if I had done that, whatever that represents in the natural, I would have been locked up. And then I had a dream that night. And then I didn't get to tell Marco because I slept late and he went to work. And then that day he was listening to the sermon and um, God convicted him of everything he told you now. And then when he came back from work, I saw like stuff was going on in his head. And I was like, I was work, but he takes a while to start speaking <laughs> when he comes back from work. And then I was like, okay, well, I'll go. And then I was like, I had this cool dream about finances. And he looks at me, he's like, what? <laughs> and then he told me God had spoken to him. So just when he made that decision, God, the previous night, told me that if we, you know, I think if we hadn't, it could have been different. Thanks, Anna. Can we stand? I'm just going to pray just a very simple prayer for us this evening. and Welcome to just pray in your hearts with me as we pray this. I'm just going to pray that God would give us the grace to be obedient to Him when it comes to our finances. And that you, because of our obedience, He would find us faithful and commit to us the true riches. It's not a long prayer and a drawn-out prayer, but just a simple prayer. So I think for many of us, when it comes to our finances, it's not that we don't know what to do, it's just that we don't do it. And I'm just going to pray that God would just, just give us a grace to be obedient, to manage His money the way He wants His money managed. Amen. Can we pray? Can I ask you to close your eyes and pray with me in your hearts if you want. Father, I, I want to thank you that we could take this week and a bit out and talk about money, something that's so special to you and Something, God, which you've given to us as a gift to lead our hearts and to test our hearts. And I pray for, for all of us here, individually and corporately, God. God, that you give us the grace to be obedient with your money. To manage and steward it in the way that you would have it managed. Lord, that we may be found faithful, God. That you would say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And Lord, then, our desire is that you would find us faithful and be able to trust us with the true riches. God, our desire is 
not for worldly riches, but for eternal value, Lord. And God, we pray for that grace in Jesus' name. Amen. for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that it was time well spent establishing God's kingdom and proclaiming His glory in your life. For more information, call us on 012-362-1363 or email us at pretoria at shofaronline.org. You may also wish to browse our website at www.shofaronline.org or find us on facebook.com forward slash shofarpretoria. Thank you.